So we love it that you guys are all here. It's a good Sunday to be here because, because we're in the last of our series on you, you, and we're going to dig right into that. This is, a, this is a series where we've talked about our life and when God intersects our life. And we've said, okay, when, when we're living our life and God interrupts and intersects, what's that look like and how does life look differently there? We've been focusing a ton on David, on First and Second Samuel and the life of David. He was a man after God's own heart that God interrupted his life. And we saw some of the good and the bad within that. And so, so we've been working a lot with, on David and his life as we've been going through this. Well, today we're going to do something a little bit different. Today we're going to take a right-hand turn from David and we're going to go to somebody else in the Old Testament. It's actually one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. We're going to take a closer look at Job today, okay? Job is, a, is an interesting book in the Old Testament. It's one that's got a lot of mystery in it as well, but it's one that it's, it's, there's, there's a question that is asked that in the midst of Job and, and his struggle in this book that every single one of us have to come face to face within our own faith, if you have a faith in God, you have to answer this question. And so we're going we're gonna to dig into that a little bit today, okay, in a very, very special way. So let's, let's pray together and we're dig into Job's life. Father, we thank you for, for this chance to, to dig into your word. And we pray that you would, you would speak to us and that ultimately we know your word is the thing that does not come back void. And that as we dig into your word, that we will, we will grow. As we dig into your word, that it will stick and that, that foundation will continue to be built in this faith. And so speak to us today from your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's get into Job. Let's get into his life, man. This is a guy that was extremely blessed. This was a guy that, that had a lot of everything, had a huge family, had a lot of money. In fact, look at the way they describe Job right off the bat in Job chapter 1. It says, Job was a man who lived in us. He was honest inside and out, a man of his word who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. Tons of integrity, huge man of character. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was also very wealthy, 7,000 head of sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 donkeys and a huge staff of servants, the most influential man in all the East. Now, if you wonder how many donkeys is that today, or let's just admit it's, he's a very rich man. That's all we need to know is that the, the, he had a lot going for him, a ton of blessing in his life. Well, here's what happens in Job. There's an interaction. There's an encounter that God has with Satan. Now, when you guys read that, when you're reading something like that, God and Satan have this conversation a lot of times as we're reading scripture, we can take that and we put it into this box that we have sitting next to us that is, that is disbelief. And we can just go, I don't believe that. I don't know what that even lo looks like or I, I don't know how to even picture this conversation with God and Satan. And so we just set it into the box of dis disbelief and we could do that over and over again in scripture and just have this, this box of disbelief continue to grow. But I want to challenge you to put a new box next, to, next to, to, to reading Scripture that is just a box of mystery. Because there's a lot of times in Scripture where God isn't necessarily needing to explain himself to us. 
but that we can stick it into that box of mystery and know that, you know what, God's ways are different than our ways and I'm never going to fully be able to figure him out. And this is one of those situations where I don't think that God ever really needs us to picture him and Satan and what that conversation looks like. Put it into that box of mystery and let's learn what it says, okay? So here's what happens. Satan comes to God and says, yeah, I see guys like Job, but really, would they really believe in you if they didn't have all that stuff? Look what he says. He says, so do you think Job does all that out of the sheer goodness of his heart? Why, no, no one has ever had it so good. You pamper him like a pet. Make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possessions. Bless everything he does. He can't lose. Of course he's going to believe in you. But what do you think would happen if you reached down and took away everything that is his? He'd curse you right to your face. That's what he would do. See, Satan is saying, if the blessing wasn't there, if all the gifts that you've given him and blessed his life with wasn't there, you honestly think he would still conclude that you are good? You honestly think he would still conclude that you are loving and that you're present and that you're faithful if all of those great gifts that you've given him have been, have been taken away? Well, here's what happens. All those things are taken away. His livelihood is taken away. His wealth is taken away. His house is taken away. His family is ultimately taken away. And Job is left with nothing. Job is left with, with all of this, all the great gifts that have been stripped from him. He's left with nothing. And in that moment, here's where Satan knows he's got him because he's, he's not, he's going to just, he's going to shed this faith in God because that's crazy when he's lost all that stuff. But here's how Job responds. Job says, he fell to the ground and worshiped. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return to the womb of the earth. God gives, God takes, God's name be ever blessed. Not once through all of this did Job sin. Not once did he blame God. Man, you talk about a man of some in incredible integrity. You talk a man with some unbelievable character. A guy that's had all that stripped away and he still is concluding, no, I'm not going to blame God in this. Well, here's what happened. Satan comes back to God and says, okay, what, you take all that stuff away, but what if, we took, what if you took away his health? What if it's everyday physical pain? Then there's no way he's hanging on to you. And in Job's life, he was afflicted with some serious physical pain then. And in those moments, even his wife, even his wife said, come on, Job. You cannot keep worshiping this God, not with all of this crap that's happening in your life, not with, all the, not with this hand that you've been dealt now. There's no way you can keep worshiping God in the midst of all of that. No chance. And Job says, no, God is still there. Even in this pain, God is still there. Well, here's what happens. He's concluding that, and then three of his friends come walking up. Elphaz and Bildad and some other name, they, all, they, all, they come walking up to him and they want to they now help him out. Well, here, here's something interesting. They come and for the first seven days, Job is comforted by them because they don't say anything. 
It's actually a pretty decent uh, piece of advice for all of us that sometimes it's better for us to just be present and we don't necessarily have to say anything. And sometimes when we say something, that gets us into trouble. Well, they came and they didn't say anything for seven days and Job was comforted by their presence. But then they started talking. And here's what they said. They looked at Job and they said, Job, the only reason you're like this is because you have a lack of faith. If you had more faith, you'd be healed. If you had more faith, that stuff wouldn't have happened. Or, or the only other explanation is that you have done something so wrong to God that he's punishing you this way. You guys, you know how many churches preach that? You know how many churches actually will say that that's truth? My next door neighbor said that when he was going to church as a young man, he said his dad passed away and the pastor told him it's because he didn't have enough faith. And he stopped going to church. And to to this day, he doesn't go to church. I mean, that theology is so far off from the true character of God. And Job knows it. And so Job presses up against those guys. And he's going, you guys, that is not true. That is not the character of God. And Job goes to him and says, look, I know it because I know what's deep down in my heart that that's not the character of God. And I know it. Because I look in this world and I see really great people that bad things happen to them. And I see really bad people that good things happen to them. And so he says, this, this is not God's, God's punishment. This isn't my lack of faith. That's not it. And he knows that and he's fighting with these guys about it. And for the next you know, 20, 25 chapters, it's the fight between him and these three guys but it's also the fight between him and God because he's also saying to God, man, this stinks. And what do I do? And I don't know. I, how do I keep, what, what, why, and what's going on? He's, he's, he's fighting with God too. Until finally God comes back to him and he says to him, Job, were you there when the stars were formed? Because I was. And I'm there now and I'll be there for eternity. Will you trust me? And Job falls to his knees and he says, you are God. You are God. You guys, I wanted to spend the morning talking about that. I want to spend the morning, uh, just let's let's preach about that. But here's what happened. About three months ago, I go over to a friend's house and I'm sitting on the porch of them. It's a guy named Vic Goulas. Some of you guys know him really well around here. I, I went and sat on the porch with Vic Goulas. Vic had been diagnosed with ALS within the last year. And, and as I'm talking to Vic, and I'm just processing this, this sermon that I'm going to give on, on Job, as I'm talking to Vic about that, Vic's response, he, as, as he was sharing how he is processing in the midst of ALS, and as his body is being stripped from him, as he starts sharing with me, I'm just going, oh my gosh, Vic, you are inspiring me so much. When I think of inspire, it's drawing me closer to Jesus. You are drawing me closer to Jesus as you're sharing in the midst of your ALS as we're processing through this stuff with Job. And finally, I said to him, I said, Vic, you need to share this with others. People need to be blessed by your perspective. They need to be blessed by that. And then I had this, this crazy idea. I said, Vic, what if you actually came in front of our church and you shared it? You just shared your thoughts about life with ALS and where is God in the midst of it, in the midst of being stripped away with my health, of my health. And, and, Vic, and I thought for sure Vic would say no chance. And he says, let's do it. If that's going to honor Jesus, let's do it. 
But that was about three months ago, and since then he lost, he's lost a lot of, of, of his ability with his legs, or he's lost a lot of, of muscle in his legs, and now he's in a wheelchair. And so as this day was coming up, I said, Vic, you still up for going up there? And he says, well, I would, but I'm in a wheelchair now, so how would, how would we get up onto the stage? And I says, well, as it turns out, the city had us build a, a ramp at the, at the end of our stage when we first came in here. And so there's a ramp back there. And he says, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's share the story. And so you guys, today, we have this unbelievable gift, an unbelievable opportunity to sit with somebody that's in the midst of, of his body being stripped from him. And where is God in the midst of all of that, we get a chance to hear from Vic Goulas this morning. So let's welcome up Vic Goulas today. All right, Chris, set that parking brake too, because I don't want him to roll backwards. You don't want to roll backwards on that. Not particularly. No. <laughs> Here's what's going to happen, you guys. Vic and I are going to, um, we're going to have a conversation, okay? Just to be a conversation between me and Vic. We get to do this on his porch all the time, and, and, and now we're going to do this right up here in front, and we're just going to invite you to listen into our conversation. Apologies to you people on the sides that are looking at my back and looking at Vic's back, but you can look at him on the screen. He's the good-looking one. I'm the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but we're, we're going to have this conversation I want you to listen in. Um, this is us on the porch, and we want to walk through and, and talk through what, what all of this has been about. So thank you for, for coming up here. Round two, buddy. Round two. Round two. Round two. <laughs> all right, here we go. So one, I mean, I love that you wore a golf shirt instead of a fishing shirt. That just shows that you like me more than Jim, so I, I appreciate that. Um, I like the sport. <laughs> <laughs> um, talk to us. Let's first. And by the way, when we're on the porch, I get to ask Vic anything. He doesn't, he doesn't say, you shouldn't have asked me that. That's a, that's a um, sensitive subject that I, I don't want to talk about. I get to ask him anything, and so I get to ask him anything today. So, uh, so we're just going to go for it, right? Let's go. Let's All go. right. Let's talk to about this, you, uh, your diagnosis of ALS. Give us a little bit of that background, how that came about and, and where yeah. you are today. Uh, back in, I think, as close as I can pinpoint in like June of 2017, I was playing some golf. The greatest game known to man. That's right. Um, better than fishing. Uh, and uh, came off the golf course, and I took off my shoes, and there was some bruising on, on I think it was on my left foot and the toes. And um, going, that's odd. And so I just kind of was monitoring that, and I was realizing I was developing a limp in the left foot. And my walking started getting a little more labored. Uh, I kind of watched this through... June to December and had some physical therapy and chiropractory and stuff like that. Uh, it wasn't improving. And we were even, we, we were going to play golf that, that fall as that was happening. We, we were planning on going out to play. Yeah, that's, do it. that's true. That's true. It was my, my only regret in life is not beating you at golf, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, um, so it was like, the, the, I think the physical therapist said, you, you need an MRI. So I went and had an MRI it came back and my back was messed up and so the initial assumption was the golf was doing it. Wrong. But Wrong. nevertheless, it was the, the, we, were, we were focused on the back and they said, well, go to a doctor. And so I went to a doctor and we did anti-inflammatories and, and, and uh, injections and nothing was improving. And then they said, 
well, you need a surgeon. So we went to a back surgeon, had back surgery um, a year ago this past July. They fused, uh, fused a couple of vertebrae. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, six weeks after that, as I was recovering, my walking wasn't getting any better. So the doctor in mid-September said, let's have you uh, do some testing with a neurologist. So I had some testing done, and the neurologist looks at me and goes, you got a complicated case. I'm going to send you to a specialist at Anschutz. And on October 18th, my one-year anniversary is coming up, uh, the doctor said, you have ALS. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. That moment you, you find out you have ALS, you come home from that. Right. What's, what, is, that, is that now hurrying on to Google and finding out what the, what, what, what's no, this ALS I mean, really, issues? I really or? didn't do that. I mean, I had a sense of what it was. You know, you, you see, um, uh, you know, the, the, the pictures of people like that. And by the way, I'm not sure who people may not know what ALS is. It's a, it's a motor neuron disease, and it basically attacks your motor neurons, which are the... I guess really the, the place that send the signals to your, to your muscles. And without those muscle signals that begin to deteriorate because the motor neurons die uh, as part of this disease, you, your, your muscles begin to atrophy. In the past year, I've lost 25 pounds of muscle mass because the motor neurons are dying and you need, things just start to change. You can't pick up things. You, your muscles become weaker, and I can't stand any longer, and I'm, I'm kind of wheelchair, in a wheelchair now. So there's that. But when we got home, the, the, the reality was we were just kind of a bit in shock. Um, there was a little, bit of, you know, a little bit of crying and a little bit of, you know, and I think what we were doing was projecting forward a lot, like what's going to happen, we've got a plan for this, et cetera, et cetera. And we got into that loop. But I think within a couple of days, we just kind of settled down and began to realize there were a lot of resources out there for us and um, just started trying to figure out how to take this a day at a time. Hmm. Hmm. So you get this diagnosis of ALS. You start to feel your body um, giving way. Uh, in the midst of all that, obviously, the big questions, the questions of, of God, why, mm -hmm. you know, when you, when you were right in the heart of that, why? Yeah. Why me? Yeah. Why this? Yeah. Um, I have an incredible wife who, uh, who, who kind of voiced it well. She said her first question was why, and then she goes, but why not? Hmm. You know, why not me uh, that this would happen to? So it was almost this sense of really looking at it saying, is, is life fair? you know, is God fair in all of this? And um, we started wrestling with that question. Uh, I had to do a, a kind of a really thinking about God and is, is my situation related to God's unfairness? Um, and a lot of people will respond in a lot of different ways. You know, when you, when you look at a situation like that, a lot of people will be like Job's wife, will go, will curse God and die. They just walk away from the faith, yeah. and they believe that God doesn't exist. But when you do that, the assumption is, is something's unfair, but how is anything unfair without God being present? 
it's almost like if you're living in a, a survivalist world, a, a Darwinistic world, suddenly it's more like survival of the fittest. So everything's game. It's random. It's, it's random. It's arbitrary. It's, it's been, arbitrary. Yeah, yeah all that yeah. kind of stuff. So you go, well, the next question you go, well, maybe God is grieved at this, but maybe he's not powerful enough. Maybe he's not, you know, what we think he is. But at the end of Job, when you read it, that's not the case. God shows up pretty big, yeah. pretty strong. And then you can go, well, it'll all work out in the end kind of thing. But that's more like if I get recreated enough, you know, recreation and reincarnation and yeah. things of this nature and come back. But then there's a, there's a philosophy which I think a lot of us Christians live by, and that is, well... Life does work on a, on a certain, in a certain way. I mean, it should be that if I do well, I'm going to be treated well. If I, if I follow God, then everything's going to work out okay. And, um, boy, you can set yourself up for disappointment. I mean, you basically are saying life is fair. Life is fair. But I have a seven-year-old uh, in, in, in Sophia's class, my granddaughter, uh, last year, and uh, a mother of three kids who's in her mid-30s, um, they're fighting for their lives through leukemia. You go, what's, what's fair about that? What is fair about that? Hmm. So when I really kind of boil it down is, to me, I mean, my, my, my ultimate thing is life is just unfair. It is unfair. But then you have to ask the question, well, so where is God in all of this? And I don't think you can confuse or should confuse God and life. I mean, I'm as pissed off as anyone about this disease. I just, I don't like it. My wife doesn't like it. My friends don't like it. None of us like it. We don't, we don't like what's going on. But I think God cares. I think he's in there crying with me. He's in there... Um, just as frustrated about it. But at the same time, it's like my health does not define how God loves me. Mm. I mean, it just, you know, it, it just, there's, no, there's no connection there. God loves me, and, and, I, and I know that. Um, and I can't draw, you know, I can't define one versus the other because I think if we have a faith, we have to develop that faith outside our physical circumstances. Because, I mean, ultimately, I'm looking at all the college kids up in the front. You're young now, but ultimately, it's all going to fall apart, okay? <laughs> and and you got to be ready for it. So developing a faith outside your circumstances is so important. It's so important because when the time comes you got something to hang on to when everything else is falling down oh, around you. Geez. Do you see why we're talking to Vic today, you guys? Man, it's powerful. Um, do you, that faith did not just come from this last year. That faith did not come post-diagnosis uh, uh, of ALS. That faith has been forged by the fire. That faith, that faith has been coming from a long time. Um, will you share a little bit more of your story? Share, sure. share a little bit more of, of when, when Jesus became real to you and then some of the things that helped shape it, good and bad that helped shape you today in, yeah. in being able to receive the news that you received today. Well, you know, in, in our life we have lots of trials and 
tribulations, but I'll, I'll just start at the beginning that, and again, I'm looking at the college students here. This, this is great. Uh, I went to school in the, in, in the SEC. Okay, so that's a problem. I know, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my first week in college. Do you notice he doesn't even want to say what school? Is Mississippi State. I mean, you embarrassed you know, it's, by it, that? It's, it's all, it, it, Mississippi you know, State, okay. SEC, it's, it's all I have to say is SEC. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I went to uh, my first week there, I found myself in a Bible study. I mean, I, was a, I went to church, but I had not figured out that, you know, Jesus died for my sins. I, I just never quite made that connection, didn't figure that one out. But got into that Bible study with Campus Crusade for Christ, and suddenly things became really clear, just boing, and, and I prayed uh, to accept Christ uh, that night. But I will say I accepted him in a certain way. I, I, I got my get-out-of-hell-free card, mm -hmm. uh, which was he's my Savior. But the Lord part, my Savior and Lord, mm. He wasn't quite there, so, if it, so effectively I lived like hell for the next, you know, X number of years. Um, but, I, but I was a planner. I, I loved to, you know, I have, I have vision, I think about things. This is what I'm going to do. Here's the steps I'm going to take. So the steps were, uh, I'm going to get my college degree or degrees. Um, I'm going to get married. Um, going to get a great job. I'm going to buy a house. Check, 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 check. All perfect. It was going perfectly to plan. I was in control. I was in charge. I was making things happen. And then we uh, began to, uh, Mo and I began a journey to have kids. Um, we've had, we had three children. One survived childbirth. Uh, the first one, our daughter Victoria, was born at 21 weeks and lived only five minutes. Um, that was suddenly a real blow. Uh, you know, it just really hammered me pretty hard, uh, and Mo as well. I mean, we were, we were devastated. Um, our daughter Alex, who was our miracle child, with some medical interventions, made it here. Um, and God was uh, good to us there. But the, our, our son Christopher uh, was born at 27 weeks. And um, he lived about nine, no, nine days. Uh, and during that time was probably the most challenging time to go and see your son uh, fighting for his life in the NICU. Uh, incredibly challenging at that point. And, and I realized finally God was saying, you're not in control. Mm. You are not in control. And it was one of those defining moments for me that suddenly went, I, I don't know who God really is. He was my Savior, but my Lord, I really didn't know what that meant. Mm. The thing that really helped along the way, and this is a message to the church in large, is in the preceding time when, when Mo was carrying the baby, she was going to a Bible study. She was invited to a, uh, by a friend up the street. We were going to a church, but they didn't really have programs like that. So our neighbor up the street, who was a sweetheart, Bonnie Kirby, um, asked Mo to go to this Bible study. And Mo went, and probably at that time she would say, 
I really accepted Christ and all that it meant along mm -hmm. the way. Even though she knew that this pregnancy was a high-risk pregnancy that she was going through. Um, and in those nine days, while Christopher was fighting for his life, the church was praying for us. The pastor, who we had never met, never set eyes on, didn't even know him, went down and gave platelets for my son. Um, and then Bonnie shows up with a meal, walks in the door, sets the meal down, goes and sits down with Mo, and just listens to Mo. Um, we had never experienced anything like that from any church, the ones we had been attending and so on. It was just this, this influx of care and love and Jesus. And at that moment, it was th that whole thing about who's in charge. I want some of whatever they're smoking hmm. <laughs> because that is powerful. That makes a difference. That matters in someone's life. It's just amazing that, you know, here you are um, struggling with your son and, 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 and whether or not he was going to live, and yet it was food brought to your house that, yeah. that startled you awake yeah. to, to people that are showing the love of Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they took such care with us because at that point, even though I'd accepted Christ, I wasn't sure, quite sure about the Bible. I wasn't sure about that. So they just brought us along. They had a Bible study at their house. I just jumped into that. And suddenly a whole new world opened up for, I think Mo, both Mo and I both. And we just have been walking this journey to know more about him. And, and we've been in some wonderful churches along the way that have, including this one, that has really helped us do that. Um, but, you know, as we were living that life, um, you know, you get to the point where you say, well, Things are going along pretty good. If I follow this, you know, if I follow Jesus and God, things just work out because that's just the way they should be. It's, it's, it's the perfect system, if you will. Um, that all worked pretty well till about nine years ago. And nine years ago, uh, another challenge entered, uh, entered into the picture and that, you know, you, you, we were sitting down with our daughter, Alex, um, in, um, in a Starbucks and she says and she's unmarried at the time and she says dad, mom, I'm pregnant and suddenly this world that you think runs ac according to a fair system is turned upside down I was so mad at, not at her as much as God just saying why did you let this happen hmm. um, and it, it became not so much about Alex and, and, and Sophia, who she was carrying at the time, but it became more about me. What have I been holding on to that makes me think that the world should be the way it should be, hmm. formed in a certain way? Uh, I was kind of living a formulaic Christian life. Yeah. And at this point, God turned it all upside down and said, you're going to grow through this. And, um, you know, I, I had to bury those expectations I had for Alex, those visions I had for Alex. I mean, we, 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 we as parents have these visions for our kids. But suddenly, that kind of went up 
and, and I had to bury those. And I began walking with Alex, and she's now my hero, because mm -hmm. she's an amazing woman who's done a phenomenal job raising this kid and, and developing her life. And Mo and I've had the, had the privilege uh, of walking with her. And in the process, I think Mo and I have loved more deeply. We have been more patient. Um, um, we've just been more tolerant of the things that we see in life that we feel are unfair, that we suddenly say, wait a minute, there's, there's more here. That, you know, we just can't put up a Christian wall and say, not going there. Yeah. Um, so it's been, uh, those two things, when you look at it, are, are kind of formulaic to when suddenly now this ALS hits and you go, you know, life is turned upside down. Yeah, yeah. But, so but in the midst of it, in the midst of it, I mean, there's a gift. God gave, us, gave me the gift of himself with that first, um, you know, in the loss of our children, I wouldn't want anybody to go through it. But Mo and I will say that we became better, we became more passionate for God, and we have loved that journey. And then that, through the, through the uh, Alex thing, it's just suddenly we had the opportunity to love in a different way, in a more powerful way, and we have Sophia, hmm. who is the sun, and we're just planets revolving around it. <laughs> so it's, um, those are the gifts that are in the midst of this turmoil. Well, you know, I've, I got to spend some time with Alex, and, and uh, she, she said, she said that, that you mean a ton to her, and your approach means a lot to her, and the way you look at life means a lot to her. And she has picked up, she has picked up on the way you've seen this as a, as a great gift. And um, I know she so appreciates the fact that you, you see her as a gift. You see Sophia as a gift. Your marriage and the way she's seeing your marriage. I think that, um, that that realization in those moments over these last seven years is leaving a mark on your daughter for sure. You, um, so we, we come to this place now. And now you're in the midst of, of ALS and... and uh, um, and we can see, we can see so much of your past that helped shape how you receive today's news and how you live out today. We see that from your past. Now, as we look at just today and the stuff from today, um, when we look at Job, we look at his, his friends and his friends came along and his yeah. friends messed up. And his friends said awful, I mean, just poor uh, advice that they gave him. You have been telling me that f the, your friends and the people that have been around you have actually been just the opposite of what these guys were for Job. Your friends have been ones that have helped carry you in this. So tell me more about that. I, I, could, I could wax on for a long time about this. Um, and a lot of you are in this room who have showed up. Um, we've had people come by, cut the grass, fertilize the grass, cleaned out the gutters, trimmed the bushes, raked the leaves. And if you've seen the trees in my yard, that's a lot of leaves. Mm -hmm. um, we've had people change light bulbs. We've had people um, come in and, and um, uh, just do some of the things that we just need to do around the house because I'm unable to do it. And, and uh, Mo is challenged in some of those areas. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, uh, we've, we've had people uh, pick up food for us. 
We've had a meal train now that's been going on for three months, and it doesn't seem to be an end in sight, which I'm thankful for. <laughs> um, thankful for all of you who are participating in that. Um, we have had people uh, take us to PT appointments, doctor's appointments. Um, it's been endless, the amount of support. We've had people just stop by the house, run up when I'm sitting out on the porch, run up to the porch to give us a hug. Um, it's just been incredible. And, it's true. You can't, you can't have a conversation with him on his porch without somebody interrupting your conversation. Somebody that just stops or a neighbor that walks by and comes up and gives Vic a hug. It yeah. happens all the time. It's an extrovert's dream. <laughs> um, and, and, and I got to say, uh, it was the, the, the people have been phenomenal. I was talking to a, a social worker. I go to the ALS clinic about once every three months out of Anschutz. And you talk to a um, uh, a social worker, and she was just saying, so how's, how's the network of people around you? And I'm going, and I just kept explaining to her, and she just kind of goes, and her eyes kind of get bigger, and really? That's, and I, and I, I said, she said, typically people will show up for about a month, and then typically drift away, uh, because, you know, they have lives of their own, and, and um, it's just natural. Uh, but these people don't go away. They're, they just keep coming and coming and coming. And we are so, so grateful and overwhelmed with it. I mean, there's not a day almost that goes by that Mo's not getting a ping, somehow I'm praying for you. You know, I'm getting a ping saying, you know, I'm praying for you. And are you available for coffee and those kind of things. It's just been, it's been an, an amazing journey. And I think a lot of it has to do with just what Christ has put into, into our whole family. I think we were talking about it one time on the porch and say, if we were to define what our family's about, what would it be? And I think Alex said, well, we're there for people. Hmm. We try and be there for people. And I think you can go through life and you can try and look in, in a lot of you, and again, I love these college dudes. Uh, you're going to have careers and you're going to say, gonna, my, my career will define me and I'm going to be doing all these great things in my career. And I think you will. You will. They're, they're growing opportunities. But in the end, where my life is, I, I had a wonderful career, wonderful things that we did, and I could start listing them off, but they're so shallow right now when I look at the relationships that I developed and that we, Mo and I and, and Alex have developed along the way. It's the, it's the relationships that matter that leave the mark in the end. It's, mm. it's like when that chalkboard, you know, you leave that, you know, you leave that, that fingerprint uh, uh, on the board, and that's what matters. Who cares if you became a vice president or whatever? At the end of life, when somebody's talking about you, it's like, they changed my life. Uh, they made a difference, and that's what matters now. That's you, what matters now. You told me that. You told me that on the porch once, and, I just, and I'll never forget that. that. That thumbprint on somebody's life, and are you leaving that thumbprint on somebody's life? I just... I, I just love that thought of how do we do that? How do we leave that thumbprint? You also shared in the midst of this with all these, the people that have come around you that it reminds you of, of, a, of a story with Jesus yeah. where, where yeah. the people came around somebody to, to, mm -hmm. to help them to him. There's a marvelous account in, in Scripture. I think, it, I think I was reading the account out of Luke uh, where there was this house that, was, uh, that Jesus was at and there were so many people around the house. They were just 
blocking the doorways. They just couldn't get in. And there was just, and, and here's some four friends. There's probably maybe more. I don't think it said how many, but there were friends that showed up with a paralytic, paralytic friend on a, sket, on, a, on, a, on a stretcher. And they couldn't get in the door, so they climb up on top of the roof, open a hole in the roof, and lower Christ, uh, lower the paralyzed man down to the feet of Jesus. And for those of you who have participated in our journey, you've done that for us. You've lowered us to the feet of Jesus. And, and not only that, but there's something that happened in that moment, and that Jesus looked at this paralytic man and, and his friends, and he said, because of your friends, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven because of your friends. And I can tell you that you have done that for us and that what you did mattered mm. to God. If there's one thing about the Job story, the Job story says that what we do matters to God. And in that moment, when you've done the little things, change a light bulb, show up with a friend, listen to someone who's hurting, you are lowering to the, them to the feet of Jesus and you're making a difference to God himself. Well, and it's helped shape even the way you view church. Because, I mean, you've, you've even said that with church, it looks, that's the way we're supposed to be living out. That's the, the being the body. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And this church is, this is what the beauty of this particular church, how you guys have really focused us on community and where we're going. And, and you know, the, the body of Christ being the body. Uh, if there's just one thing, if, you know, is just show up. Just show up. You don't, you know, Chris and I were talking backstage. Sometimes we feel like when we show up, we have to say something. We have to say something meaningful and, and impactful and so on. If you're ever in a hospital room, all you need to do is sit there. And it, it means something. It means something to the person in the room. And so if you just show up, you don't have to come with grand answers or a meditation or, a, you know, or whatever it is. You just show up and be with them and, and be with them in whatever their challenges are, their pain, their struggles, and so on. And I think a lot of the, the people that have shown up for us have just shown up. Well, and you, 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 your name was even brought up a few weeks ago because Emily Deardorff was, was um, sharing in her video yep. story about her struggle with infertility. Right. And, and she said that she went to her core group, to, her, to the, the, the Bible study that you guys are a part of, and she said she talked to you about it, and she said, she said Vic told me in the midst of me not being able to have any hope or I, could, I couldn't muster up any hope, she said, she said, Vic said, what if I hope for you? So, I mean, in it, that's what you're talking about, right? I yeah. mean, you're yeah. talking about stepping into their story exactly. and showing up in their story. Exactly. And you just, you just have to come alongside and, you know, be one of those stretcher bearers. And, and do what you can. Because some cases, people in that hopelessness, we understood that hopelessness, Mo and I did, because we wanted children. And we, we have a beautiful, beautiful child now in Alex, and more a woman. I, I keep, sorry, the parent thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I mean, we understood that 
we wanted more children and we couldn't have it. And we understood the pain that, that the Deardorfs were going through. And so why not pray? I mean, it was part of our testimony. It was part of our story. We can lean in and we can take that, we can take that burden as much as we can to just be there for her. Yeah. And we have an incredible core group. Shout out for the core group. Uh, we have an incredible group that we've just been very uh, open, very transparent. We, we've shared a lot. We've shared a lot of tough stuff and wonderful stuff. It was interesting. It's, we talked about right after the ALS diagnosis in the core group. I remember after I got the diagnosis, we had a core group. Our core group met that Sunday. And Stacy Luther starts crying. I said, what are you crying for? She goes, I'm just so pissed off at God about what happened to you. And, you know, and then, and then I get Emily Drew. You know, it was just, it was, it was, and I think I was probably crying. It was a cry fest. But, <laughs> but we could do that together. Yeah. You know, because we were, it's just been, they've been as much of the stretcher bearers as anyone oh. in this whole thing. There's a, pa there's a passage of scripture that says, uh, my troubles turned out all for the best. They forced me to learn from your textbook. What are you learning from the textbook? What are you learning from, from, from scripture? What's, what, what are you holding on to these days? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a verse that I've always kind of held on to. It's like, count it, it's in James, first, James 1, 2, count it all joy when trials and tribulations come your way. And it develops perseverance and so on. You know, I, you, you, you hang on to it, but this is the biggest, this is the biggest challenge I've got mm. right now. And it's big, but I, I can see it starting to mold me. It's starting seeing it, it's starting to kind of, uh, you know, it, 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 there's, there's that tension, but that tension is good, if you will, in, in terms of molding me. So I, I, feel, I feel that verse alive and well in me. Um, I think the, uh, another verse is just live for, you know, basically it's out of, out of uh, Christ's Sermon on the Mount where he says, he says that um, tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Hmm. You know, just basically today, live today. Yeah. Today is important. And Mo and I have been holding on to that because uh, if we get too far ahead, all sorts of stories start popping up. Today is enough. Yeah. And what can we do to maximize this day together and with others? So, so help me on that one too, because I, I hear that, because I know that Mo is telling me that that's her prayer. Her yeah. prayer today is just live today and not, yeah. get, too, not get too far yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, I've also heard you say, I've heard you say, I also want to prepare for heaven. Um, how does that what's, that, what's that look like too? I mean, you're talking about preparing for eternity. And so on one hand, you want to live today and, and make sure that you don't get too far ahead. And the other hand, you're saying, but I also want to prepare for heaven. I just want to know Jesus. I'm going to meet him. I'm going to see him. Um, it's like, I've been a lot in the Gospels, you know, just reading through the Gospels, trying to let those words just sink in as much as I can. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, to me, I think there is a preparation for he heaven because, um, you know, that's where I'm going. And, and I, don't think, I don't think that things just suddenly, you know, I'm now this creature and then suddenly I get to heaven and suddenly I'm perfect. I don't think it works that way. I could be wrong. No one knows. Mm -hmm. I just think I'm gonna, God's going to have some way of continuing to develop me, but I want to get ready for him. I want to get ready to, to praise him and to, and to 
just be part of that, that community in there. But it's Jesus. Yeah. You see Jesus. I love that. I love that. Now, you know, just let's, I want to ask you a very specific question mm-hmm. about, about you and the next stages for you. You, uh, you and I have talked about how lung, your lungs are, are it's gradually, th- those are gradually also atrophying, right? Right, right. And so a possible breathing <laughs> tube could be down the road. Sure. So just a question for, for, for the, your friends out here. There'll be a day that you might come in here in your wheelchair with a breathing tube. And there will be some people that will be afraid to come up to you. Right, There'll be some people right. that will go, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to act. I don't, know, I don't know what to do. And so some will hesitate and some will come. What would you say to them now about what might be coming up next? Um, I, I, was, I, I was part of a missions trip out to D.C. several years ago where we were working with the homeless out there. And one of the things that we were doing during the training is that uh, a lot of the homeless will say the most frustrating thing is that no one makes eye contact with them. No, you know, you just kind of walk by and people will start averting their eyes. And I've been guilty of that. Uh, it, it was really uh, convicting for me. Um, and even now in a wheelchair, I, I watch people sometimes look past me, hmm. if you will. I, I, and I'm not upset with it or anything. It's just... It's kind of a natural reflex and, and response. But um, inside that body that's crumbling away, you know, as, as right now, I, the thing with this disease, thank God, I mean, it's, many of you are suffering with much more difficult things. I don't want to be unique or, or anything because I think there's some challenges that, that are in this, in this community of people here today that are dealing with something much, much worse. But, but for me, um, I'm still the same inside. You know, the, the, this, the cognitive thing doesn't go away as much with ALS. I can still pretty much hold on. And it's going to be that I'm still the same person inside, even though the body's just kind of looking different and, you know, shrinking away and those kind of things. So... What can you do? Well, I'm Greek, so I like hugs. Um, I, I, I love people. I'm an extrovert by nature. People looking in my eyes and just saying, hey, you don't have to say, you know, turn your scars into stars and all that other stuff, you know. <laughs> I, I don't... I don't, I don't I'm going to say that to you for I, sure. <laughs> I, don't, I do not need that. All I want is, hey, love you. And, uh, and if you have a conversation you want to have, let's have a conversation. Uh, I, we could go on forever, forever with this, but, I, but we got to wrap it up at some point. But I want, uh, there, at the end of Job, there's this passage that says, I talked about things I did not understand. I talked about things too amazing for me to know. You said to me, listen, and I will speak. I will ask you questions and you will answer me. In the past, I heard about you, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. So in the past, I heard about you, but now I see you. And I looked back at your, at your um, journal entries from, um, from your Caringbridge site. And back in December, um, Christmas meant a lot to you this yeah. last year. Yeah. It, you, you said this in your journal entry. You said, but Christmas changes everything. ALS is insidious, slow, targeted, and extremely effective in its purpose. 
Waking every day to feel a bit weaker or to see more muscle atrophy is the reality of life for me now, and there is literally nothing that modern science has, the mo- has at the moment to change that reality. When Jesus showed up that in that manger, God came to me personally, to all of us, saying, I want to walk with you, teach you, laugh with you, and cry with you. Above all, trust me that I'll never leave you alone. So this Christmas has a Jesus reality for me unlike any other. God is real and he is here. I hope each of you reading this has that same experience this season. God is becoming more and more real for you with each passing day. Yeah. You know, it's, it's um, I go back to that faith question. Um, will I have enough faith? Um, will I... Uh, Will, will I hold on at the end? And, and is life really fair? And, and, you know, I think the cross changes everything. It just changes everything. When you look at a, the cross represents a unfairness in its, in its maximum way, but it shows us a sacrificial God, a God that loves us and sacrificed because he loves us. And I think Jesus in that point did not play his get-out-of-jail card free, which he could at any moment. He walked through the unfairness. He walked through that for us and showed us a way to the other side. And I just, it all comes down to him. I mean, what he did for us is a model for how we should live, how we should look at life. And um, and in this in this body that's kind of withering away, so to speak, he is more alive than anything because, uh, again, I was talking to Chris behind stage. It's like there's a passage where Jesus' disciples were leaving him. You know, he said some things, and they were really tough things to say, and he turned to the 12, and he said, are you going to leave me too? And, and um, Peter turns to me and said, well, where else would we go? And I'm kind of at that point too. Where else can I go at this point? I only want to be there and with my family and my friends and in this church. Mm. It matters. What we, it just matters. One of the things that Vic and I really wanted to see happen today, and Vic just was very, it was very important to him that this wasn't going to be a story of just Vic in a, in, in, with ALS, that this was going to be a story of Jesus and his, and his presence and his love. And so the hope, the hope that Vic really had was that that's what people would get far more than the story of, of, of what ALS is, has done and is doing to Vic. And so, um, and you have given us a gift with that. And I think you've accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. Can we give Vic a hand for, for what he's... Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that, well, one, we thank you. We thank you that you have, um, you have allowed us in to see 
to see what it's like that when things are being stripped away, that we still can fully trust you. We can still fully see you. In fact, we can see you even clearer, that we can recognize your presence and that we know you love. And God, we pray that that would be the case for any of us with any of our situations. We know that for some, things are being stripped away right now. For others, it's going to be at one time or another that something is going to be taken. And God, how can we step closer to you as a result? God, you have gifted Vic and you have been with Vic and you have, you have blessed him and you have, you've blessed him with, with great things, but you've also blessed him with just your presence. And we thank you for that and that we are blessed because of it. God, God, I pray that each one of us will take a step closer to you as a result of it. God, be with Vic, be with, with Sophia, be with Alex, be with Mo. God, help them to live just today and then tomorrow pick it up again and live for that day again too. And I pray that, that, that his voice would stretch out as far as it can because he's got something powerful to say about you that can leave us for, that can help prepare us for eternity. I pray that his voice would, would be shouted out of that joy that he has in you and that trust and that knowledge he has in you. We thank you, Lord, for what you have given us and what you're giving him as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.